Several months ago, as uh, Pastor TJ and I were visiting with our ministry partners in um, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, we had the opportunity when we were in Abu Dhabi to go to visit the Grand Mosque, which is like the biggest tourist attraction uh, on earth or something like that. I mean, it, it's, it's big, okay? So we're going with, uh, with uh, some of our friends and partners there. To get to the Grand Mosque, you have to, it's like Disneyland. You know, like you drive into this. I mean, it's not like Disneyland, but it's like Disneyland. So you drive in, you know, you got to get to the parking spot. You get the right parking spot. You enter through this really big mall. And because everything in the UAE is like a mall. So you go into the mall and like we had to walk this whole long way. And then we had to get to like the actual entrance to the actual site. And then you have to go through there. And then there's another kind of corridor that you go down. And I mean, get, you're getting your steps in before you've even gotten to the place, right? So all this is underground. And then after walking for what felt like, you know, uh, three hours, you finally get to the security screening. So there we are, you know, there's uh, four of us together. We go through the security screening, you know, and everything, you got the shoes off and the laces off and like, you know, whatever they're combing through our hair. I don't know. We go through the, the whole thing, right? You do all the things. And we finally get to then the turnstile. Like, this is it, right? This is the moment where it's like, you're going to, bleep, you know, they're going to scan the ticket and you're going to go in. And now we're, we're finally there. And it turns out there was more walking. But anyway, we get to the turnstile, right? And uh, Adam Brown has our tickets and he, and he bleeps the ticket. And it's like, eh, you don't have tickets. And so like, we're just standing there at the turnstile, and you're looking at all this security, and it's like, no, you're not getting in. Like, it was a long way to come, <laughs> you know, to not get in. I mean, we didn't have, now we thought we had the tickets. That's why we walked 700 miles, you know, through the maze to get there, because we thought we had the tickets, but we did not. And so we weren't getting in. Last week, Jesus warned us about this very issue for our eternal soul. He cautioned us that on that day, the day of his return, the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You're not getting in. That warning is a warning that is meant to expose inconsistency between claiming to be a follower of Jesus and actually being a follower of Jesus. It's a warning that's meant to expose hypocrisy. And this is the tone that Jesus chooses to end the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, as you think about all that I've taught you about the, the fakeness, the, uh, the shallowness of the, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And as I've called you to a greater righteousness, which is called by actually believing him and following God's calling on our lives, God's law, right? So as he's called us to that, he says, okay, we're ending this sermon and I'm going to call you to carefully consider whether or not you actually are in the kingdom, if you call yourself a Christian, this passage is for you. And so this morning, as we get to the familiar territory of the wise man and the foolish man building their house, right? We're going to unpack this uh, little parable together. But as we think about this passage, it really functions in light of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It is a fitting conclusion as, again, it cautions us against hypocrisy, claiming to be a Christian, but not actually being a Christian. As we heed this morning, I just want to heed this warning. I want to encourage you this morning to be ready to, to be honest with the Lord. Because he knows. And the fact is that we can fool strangers, people in our community. They can see us driving out of our neighborhoods on Sunday morning and they know, oh, they're going off to church, right? But we could fool them. We could fool a pastor or a church leader where you could just show up and you could, you could dress the right dress and kind of, you know, say all the right things and sing the right songs. 
I mean, you could fool even family members. You could fool. But the fact is that you'll never fool the Almighty. And so as Jesus concludes again the Sermon on the Mount, he just calls us to carefully consider what it is that he has warned us about. Are we truly his kingdom citizens? So let's look at this uh, familiar uh, analogy, this familiar um, parable, and see how Jesus challenges us this morning with this, with the two foundations, or the wise and the foolish man. So watch verse 24 again in Matthew 7. Jesus says, therefore, again, in light of that previous warning, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Okay, so if we pause here, you need to note something very important in verse 24, Matthew 7, verse 24, where Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like this wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so just so we're really clear, Jesus says, it's not enough to just hear my teaching, which that's what we're doing today. We're hearing from the word of God, right? It's not just enough to be raised in a Christian family. It's not just enough to listen to Christian radio. It's not just enough to have Christian intake into your your life. Jesus says, the person who's wise is actually the one who hears my word and acts on my word. Hears my words, acts on my words, right? That's, that's the picture. So it's, it's belief and obedience. It's belief and action. And so that's the picture of this wise man. Now then he uses this analogy. There's a wise man who builds his house, and he builds his house on a rock. Now, in Israel or in the Middle East, um, what happens is, of course, it's very dry there almost all of the year. There is a rainy season. They just, that's the winter. The winter is just the rainy season. That's what they call it. And so in the rainy season, there are these wadis, which are um, these basically canyons that have been carved into the landscape because of tons of rain. And so it's kind of like you go from one extreme to the other. But what happens in those wadis is that at the bottom of the wadi, and especially at the end of the wadi, you'll have a lot of sand that's there, right? A lot of just uh, sand that's been moved. And what you could think, you could show up at the base of one of those wadis, and you could think, hey, this is a beautiful spot. You've got these glorious cliffs right behind me. There's a nice view of the Dead Sea Valley right here. You can see Jordan in the distance, okay? And I, that's build, this is a great place to build a house. And so, you, you know, you go to build your house. And you could spend eight, nine, ten months enjoying that house, right? But what happens is in the rainy season, those wadis can flash flood in a matter of minutes. To this day, it's a threat. Israel's, Israelis hiking, they have to be careful about those flash floods that come through those wadis. And so you can imagine somebody building their house in that wadi. Well, they're going to build a house in the wadi. You've got to build it on rock. You've got to build it on actual bedrock foundation. You can't build it on that sand. And so Jesus says the wise person builds his house on the foundation, So that way it can withstand the storms that will come, the rain and the wind and whatever else is going to blow against that house. If it's built on the strong foundation, it will stand. Jesus says, that is the person who hears my words and obeys, who hears my words and acts on them. You see, kingdom citizens believe and obey Jesus. Kingdom citizens believe and obey Jesus. We call this the perseverance of the saints. That is, those who have trusted in Christ, they've been forgiven by the grace of God. They are now a saint. But if they have trusted in Christ, they will persevere 
in obeying Jesus, in following Jesus. Now, let's just qualify that carefully here. Of course, that's not perfect obedience. It doesn't mean that they always perfectly obey, but it does mean that there's progress in their lives, that there's a general track record of acknowledging their sin and growing in holiness and trusting the Lord more. And so it's, it's a, a positive trajectory generally. We see this laid out exactly for us in Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul describes that he was dead. Every, every believer before they came to faith was dead in their sins, but now they've, they've become alive in Christ. And of course, we know that famous passage that we all love is by grace that you are saved through faith, Ephesians 2, uh, 7 and 8. But then if you go on to verse 10, Paul says, for we are created in Christ Jesus, right? What? For good works. So you're, you're saved. Saved for what? Saved to live differently. Rescued from your sin to live a holy life. That transformed life, that obedience is a result of your faith. It's not the cause of your faith. It's the result of your faith, right? You have to get the cart and the horse in the right order here. Jesus says, here's the danger. And it's a danger for anybody who claims to be a Christian. The danger is you may just hear my words. You just take it in. I would, I would caution especially those of us who are currently growing up in Christian households and you come to church because your parents make you come to church. And rightly so, they should. Good on you, parents. Keep, keep up the good work, right? But the fact is that when you're raised in that environment, it could be that you're just hearing the words of Jesus and that's it. Jesus says, the wise person hears my words and acts on them. Again, faith must produce a transformation my friend Martin Luther said it this way, just as there's no fire without heat and smoke, so there's no faith without love and good deeds. Johnny Calvin said it this way, it is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Faith alone is what is the basis of our forgiveness, but that faith is never only just faith. It always produces a transformed life. Not perfect obedience, but progress. And so you, if you want to ask the question, as so many of us do, have I believed? Am I forgiven? Right? Am, I, am I in right standing with the Lord? A practical way to answer that question is to look at your life and say, well, is there evidence that I obey? Again, the obedience doesn't cause the forgiveness, but the obedience is the sign, the fruit, the evidence of true faith. The question here, Jesus says, is will you be wise? Nobody wants to be the foolish one. Right? Nobody hears this little parable. They think, oh yeah, I want to be that guy, the guy that blew it. More on him in a second. But no, I want to be the wise one. And we know what wisdom is. We know what wisdom is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? So it's that I hear the words of Jesus. I, I acknowledge Jesus is the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Son of God who took on flesh for me. And I respond to his words with not just, oh yeah, that's interesting, but action. I believe and I obey. Kingdom citizens don't just hear the word of God. They respond to the word of God in their lives. Of course, when, when you read carefully in the scripture, we find out that Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, the apostle Paul tells us he looks like foolishness. The gospel looks like foolishness to the world. But not only is it not foolish that our Savior would die on a cross and rise from the dead, Jesus actually is the wisdom of God. It's not just that the plan is wise, it's that Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. And so you might ask, have I believed, which means asking, do I obey? 
Do I obey? Well, what if someone hears and doesn't obey? Well, that's the second part of the analogy. Watch verse 26. Jesus goes on, But everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, well, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. You pause there, verse 28. The fact is, Jesus here cautions us that fools hear the word of God, but do not obey. Fools hear the word of God, but do not obey. In the analogy, you see that, that you're at the base of that wadi. It's a glorious view. Yeah, it's a sandy plain right there. But you know what? This is a great spot. It's a glorious view. I'd love to have my coffee every morning enjoying that view. So the foolish one builds their house on that sand. And what they don't realize is that eight, nine, ten months later, what's going to happen is one day without warning, there's going to be a massive rainstorm. And within minutes, not hours, but within minutes, that peaceful wadi is going to turn into a raging flood. What that flood is going to do, it's going to wash away that sand. And that house is going down. And as Jesus says, it will go down with a great crash. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about God's judgment. He's piggybacking on what he had just said in the previous section about that anticipated day of judgment when people will say, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. They will receive judgment from God because they broke his law. They, they didn't obey, right? They, they, they're not his followers. And so the fact is, this warning here is a caution to people who will just hear the words of Jesus and that's it. It's the, the meh response. You, know, you, hear, you read the word of God, you go, yeah, interesting. You know, I got a lot going on though, right? There's a lot of other interesting things going on in my life. There's a lot, of, a lot of things that demand my attention. I can't be expected to take time to sit around and, and respond to, to the word of God. Fools hear the word of God, but they do not obey. And they're destined for judgment. The, the storm picture is a picture of God's judgment in like many places in the Old Testament. And so it's a well-known biblical kind of metaphor, a storm representing the judgment of God. Of course, the fact is that true believers, when we hear the word of God, we obey, right? That pattern is maintained over time. It's maintained through trials, through difficulties, absolutely. But ultimately what Jesus is talking about here is the day of judgment. And he says, what will prove the reality of your faith is that, yeah, your life was changed. People that need to watch out is people that are claiming Jesus, but their life hasn't changed. There isn't progress. They're not different. They look just like everybody else. They live just like everybody else. They talk just like everybody else. So Jesus says, fools, hear the word of God, but do not obey. This is a special warning for people who are in a Christian context, but have not yet responded with true faith. Fools hear the word of God and do not obey. James, the brother of Jesus, in his epistle, kind of builds on this teaching. In James 2.14, he tells us, What good is it if someone claims to have faith, but does not work? If you claim to have faith, but there's no evidence, James says, that, that faith is dead. That is, in the business, theologians say that faith is bueno para nada. Okay, that's good for nothing. Okay, that's a theological phrase. Yeah, look it up. But right, it's, it's good for nothing. 
That faith is good for nothing. Where you, where you have the t-shirt, but your life isn't changed, right? You have the bumper sticker, but your life is, hasn't changed. And so Jesus warns us here about that. Of course, we can see this response, this foolish response, in a couple of different ways. One, you might see it in a lack of positive obedience. So this is where we don't value God and his kingdom. We just kind of are going through the motions because our parents expect us to, or we were raised in it, and our friends expect us to, or, or we just think we have to earn it, you know, and go to church to earn God's favor. And so in that case, we're not actually positively saying, how can I glorify God with my life? How can I value his kingdom, right? Living out what Jesus has described in the Sermon on the Mount. A different attitude toward hatred, a different attitude toward marriage, a different attitude towards money, a different attitude towards anxiety. Jesus says, listen, my kingdom citizens, they seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. That's what they seek after. And so the fool hears that message, but doesn't do that. There's no actual prioritizing of God's glory in their life. It's a lack of positive obedience. So you might ask, does the glory of God ever factor into my decision making? Does it factor into how you spend your time, your free time? Does it factor into how you make decisions as a family, what you're going to prioritize? Does it factor into uh, your attitude towards your career and how you go about your work or your schooling, how you go about your time in, in class? Is the glory of God not just a factor in your decision-making, but is it the central factor of your decision-making? You know, people get uncomfortable um, when other people get nosy about their lives, you know, their, their finances, their family. I don't know if you ever meet people that are overly friendly. They're probably from the South, because that's how those people are. And they're always, like, super friendly. They want to get to know you. And you're like, what do you want, my social security number? Back off, bro. Like, come on. But the fact is, we, like, we don't like people being in our kitchen, because we don't like people being in our kitchen, because it's my kitchen. The problem is that we're that same way often with the Lord. I don't want, I don't want Jesus mixed up in my finances. Really? I don't want Jesus mixed up in my dating, my romance, really? I don't want Jesus mixed up in my career, or my school, really? Then you may be building on sand. You may be hearing it, you may be hearing it, but you may be foolishly building on sand, lack of positive obedience. We also see it, though, in a lack of confession and repentance. This is where... Again, we're, we're exposed to the gospel often. We hear the words of Jesus. We read the words of Jesus. But we never actually confess our sin. And really, when we talk about obedience, so kingdom citizens hear and obey Jesus. We believe and obey Jesus, right? That, that second piece of obeying, it necessarily involves growing in holiness. So saying no to sin and saying yes to Christ, to his lordship. And so at some point, I mean, not some point, many points in our Christian life, we have to say, Lord, I confess this failure in my life. I have failed you by doing this, by saying that, by acting in this way, by wanting to act in this way. And so you confess that as sin and you repent. You turn from that attitude. You turn from that lifestyle. You take more steps towards Christ and away from that worldliness. And so the, the people who are building on sand, they hear the message all the time. They just never confess their sin and repent. They never actually do anything about it, right? So there's no response. So it's not just that they're not actively obeying, but it's also that they're not, they're not owning their own sin and calling it what it is. They tend to think, I think I'm fine. 
I've, I mean, I've endured a lot of sermons. Like, I, I've, I've, my church attendance record is really high. You know, like, I, I, I told you, I was raised in a pastor's family. And so, you know, I have been to church more than anyone, like, ever, right? But it, it doesn't work that way. So we can't rely on church attendance record. We can't rely on being around people who love Jesus and being around people whose lives are transformed and around his words. Again, the fool's building on the sand if they never confess their sin. Listen, I don't want to bum you out on Father's Day, but here's the deal. The Bible's pretty clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's not like, oh, maybe you're the one who doesn't have the sin problem. There's only been one who didn't have the sin problem. And praise God, he died in your place. And so, really, because of the gospel, it's safe for us to confess our failures. So often we want to pretend that we're more holy than we actually are. But if you're not confessing sin, and if you're not repenting, if that's not a part of your life, you're building on sand. And that storm is coming. The storm of God's judgment is coming. Fools hear the word of God, but do not obey. I thought about this guy building on the sand, just in the analogy. And I'm thinking, what a fool, right? You know, you think that? Why would he do that? And I don't think it was just for the view. I think sometimes people build on sand just because they're lazy, right? It's a lot of work. In Luke's version, in Luke 6, you have a parallel uh, recording of this same material. And in Luke's version, he talks about having to dig down to get to the foundation that's a, lot, that's, a, that's a lot of work. And so maybe this guy is lazy. Of course, maybe spiritually we're lazy. Maybe spiritually we're just complacent. We're just lazy. We're just saying, you know what? It's not that important, honestly. It's just not. I would rather. Or maybe this guy was short-sighted, right? He just, he, he just missed it. Like he didn't see that YouTube video on how to build a house, right? Like the one that says, don't build on the sand, build on bedrock. You know, like have a good foundation. He just missed that one. And so he just was short-sighted. He just thought, ah, yeah, I'll just build here. Whatever. It'll be great. But maybe spiritually that's us. We're short-sighted. This is where something else is always more important than Jesus. You know, where it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus said a lot of stuff, but this is more important. I'm, I'm dating this person. I'm chasing this degree. I'm going to do this job and, and this house and, this, and, I got, and everything else is more important than Jesus. Always takes a back seat. Short-sighted. Because the storm's coming. Maybe this guy was just proud right? I mean, maybe he was just proud. He just thought his friends came. This is exactly what happened, right? His friends came over. They were like, dude, you can't build on the sand like that. You got And he's like, watch me. You think you know, I, I'm smarter than you? I know. I know what I'm doing. I know. Leave me alone. I know, right? Isn't that sometimes what it is for us? Spiritual pride, where we just think, I don't need help. Storm's coming. Jesus says, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Don't be the one who hears the word of God, but doesn't obey. Don't be the one who's associated with Christians and spends a lot of time around Christians, but is not a follower of Christ. It's dangerous to be around the church and to not respond. Of course, what we're looking for here is sustained patterns, not periodic struggles. So, Jesus is not saying if you ever struggle with obedience that you're not my follower. He's saying, no, but if you hear my word and your regular pattern is you don't respond, that's a problem. That could be a sign of unbelief. And don't be a fool and don't build on the sand. 
I just think it's worth applying this perhaps to some of our specific life circumstances because the struggle does look a little different as we age. So young people, I want to encourage you at this phase of life, if you're going to build on the foundation, you want to not only hear the words of Jesus, but you want to respond with obedience, which affects your attitude towards your parents. Take time to memorize the word of God. Let it transform your life. Love Jesus in your youth. Of course, teenagers, as you're growing into adulthood, you have an opportunity to grow in Christ. And you're going to be tempted with so much. You're going to be tempted to waste so much time playing video games, on social media, watching stuff on TV, just chasing what everybody else is chasing. But I want to encourage you, teenagers, when you spend time investing in getting to know Jesus better and growing in your knowledge of him, you will not suffer for that. I mean, you, you will grow. You will be blessed for that. It may be hard, but you will be blessed in that pursuit. And yes, you may miss out on the latest game or the whatever is going on. But kingdom citizens believe and obey Jesus. Teenagers have a unique opportunity to obey Jesus. You, you, listen, if you're a teenager here this morning, you want people to look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you like all the other teenagers? Why are you so different? Young adults, can I encourage you this morning to stay focused on the Lord? We get wrapped up in our pursuit of education, our pursuit of career, our pursuit of marriage, perhaps. So there's a lot of things that are asking for our attention And we can just basically let Jesus fall down the the level of priority in our lives. I want to encourage you to stay focused on the Lord, to hear God's word, and to obey, to respond. You're uniquely blessed with energy and time that you can use for God's glory. And adults, don't excuse sin in your life. Don't let yourself off the hook. Don't let family Or life circumstances distract you from what matters most. Especially as we do age and grow, there's a lot of demands on our lives. We can easily get distracted. And if you're in the retirement age bracket here this morning, I want to encourage you to use your retirement for the glory of God. That when we hear the word of God and we respond with obedience, that that follow through, that perseverance of the saints continues as we retire And so, yes, you're uniquely blessed with uh, more free time and maybe less free time all at the same time. So use that time for God's glory. Kingdom citizens believe and obey Jesus. Why? Well, in verse 28 and 29, we get the conclusion here where Matthew just gives us a little bit of a notation on what happens at the end of this particular occasion. In verse 28, we read this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Okay, so here's the deal. Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is delivered primarily for his followers, his disciples, but a great crowd, if you remember from the beginning of the sermon, that the great crowd was following him and actually had gathered. And so there was a secondary audience that heard this whole address, right? And so they had heard the sermon, this massive crowd. So Jesus has challenged them throughout the sermon. Well, we get to the end, and Matthew says, people were blown away. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were just amazed. They were like, we have never heard anyone talk like this, teach like this. Why? Verse 29, because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Now, let me explain that for a second. So first century rabbinic teaching, the way it worked was this. 
they would ask questions of God's law. Okay, they would say, okay, well, so what does it look like to observe the Sabbath? Or what does it look like to, to uh, you know, keep this law or that law? And a rabbi would never say, this is what it means. The rabbi would always say, well, many years ago, rabbi so-and-so said you should do this. And then he would say, but a little bit later, rabbi so-and-so said you should do that. But a little bit later, Rabbi so-and-so said, you should do that. And then on, and then we're just basically going around this merry-go-round, okay? And it's just constant debate, constant reliance on a chain of tradition, okay? Never a statement of fact, of authority. Here you go. This is what it is. You'll just remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said? That's Jesus talking about all the rabbis, the chain of tradition, all that. The rabbis said this, the rabbis said that, the rabbis said this, the rabbis said that. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, no rabbi said that. No rabbi leveraged their teaching on their own authority because they had no intrinsic authority and they knew it. But here Jesus in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount says, I say to you, I have authority to declare to you how to keep the law of God. I alone have authority to declare to you how you should behave as kingdom citizens, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I alone have that authority to declare to you what you should be valuing and shouldn't be valuing in your life. Jesus here has claimed that authority in the sermon. And so Matthew says when he was done, the people were blown away. Why? Because he taught them as one having authority. Because brothers and sisters, he does have that authority. Kingdom citizens Believe and obey Jesus. Why? Because he has divine authority. He has it. He is Lord, right? He is the king over all kings. He is the prophet. I don't know if, I don't know if you remember, but in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 18, there's a section about looking for a prophet greater than Moses, which like Moses is like the pinnacle prophet. He delivered the word of God to, to the nation of Israel. Like It didn't get better than that in their minds. But in Deuteronomy 18, the, the idea is that, well, there is going to be a greater prophet than Moses. And so the, a few people asked, you know, they're like, is Jesus the prophet? And the answer is yes. He is the one who speaks for God because he is God in the flesh. He does have that authority. And so here, Matthew just says the, the people were blown away. But here's the deal. Just read it closely with me one more time. And just notice what's not in this description of people's response, Okay. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. You know what we don't read? The crowds were astonished at his teaching and they obeyed. In fact, Matthew is setting us up here because he's going to expose throughout his gospel the insufficient response of the crowd to Jesus. That they're like, whoa, Jesus, that's so interesting what he said. What do you guys want to get for lunch? Right? That, oh, wow, I could, I could talk about that for a long time. Thinking about how interesting it was, but never actually obeying. Never actually changing. Never actually responding with that faith-driven obedience that's true of all of his kingdom citizens. Matthew says, yeah, the crowd was astonished. And I think Matthew's winking at you here. Be careful. Be careful that you're not just impressed with Jesus. That you think he's interesting. Kingdom citizens believe and obey Jesus because he has divine authority. Now we have to contrast that with human authority. So listen, 
the proclamation of the gospel is not based on a chain of tradition that, that we have. And so like, like, oh, well, Pastor Ryan said, no, it's not because Pastor Ryan said, or Pastor Ryan got it from his seminary professors who got it from their pastor, who got it from their, and you know, whatever. No, that's not the basis of the proclamation of the gospel. The basis of the proclamation of the gospel is the word of God. It's Jesus's authority. That's it. It's his authority. Fools defer to other authorities. They defer to experts. Everybody today wants an expert. Well, a university professor somewhere said that God didn't create the universe, so God must not have created the universe, right? Or even more reliable, a social media poll, right? Well, the majority of my friends on social media think that this is okay, so it must be okay, right? We defer to experts or the community kind of majority opinion of course, today, actually, the, the authority that we defer to the most is ourselves. And that's kind of a new thing that, that we were experiencing as a culture, that you know, we, we value our own opinion more than anything else, our own, uh, our own sense of you know, uh, what, we, what we think is best. Carl Truman had this insightful quote here. He said that the modern self assumes the authority of our inner feelings. It's like, I don't care what Jesus said. I don't feel like obeying Jesus. And my feelings matter more than the word of God. Now, nobody ever says it that bluntly, but so often that's how we live. We just live like, oh, whatever. I don't really care. It's what I, what I think, what I feel matters most. We defer to other authorities, especially ourselves. Maybe we're deferring to no authority because we've seen authority abused. And that's a thing. In a, in a sinful, broken world, authority is abused. Fathers don't always do a great job. That's a hard truth to, to recognize on a Father's Day, but that's true. But the fact that authority does sometimes get abused because of sin doesn't mean there isn't a glorious king over all kings and Lord over all lords. In fact, maybe all the more reason we need to look to him. Rather than rejecting authority outright, we say, no, no, there is one that we need to look to in faith. Kingdom citizens believe and obey Jesus because Jesus has divine authority. Is he your authority, though? I mean, isn't that really the question, the point of the, the story? The wise and the foolish man, the wise man hears the words of Christ and responds with obedience. The foolish one hears the words of Christ and doesn't respond with obedience, doesn't act on those words because they don't take them as authoritative. So again, we can ask the question, how will you respond to the word of God? How will you respond to Jesus? And maybe this morning you have an opportunity to actually own the fact that you, you are not responding with obedience. Maybe these are scary passages for you because they're ringing a little too true. Maybe you fear that there's not enough evidence in your life to confirm that claim to being a follower of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you that there is hope. There's an opportunity to do something different. So there we were. We're at the gate at the, the tourist site trying to get in. Not getting in, right? No. We thought we had tickets, but we didn't. But there was hope. They sent us back. We had to walk 700 yards back to the customer service desk. We go to the customer service desk. They took care of us. They got the right tickets, all that. We walked another 700 yards back all the way through. Yes, we went through security again. And then beep, we scanned the thing and we got in. There, there, was, an, there was an adjustment to be made. Right? There was something to be done. And here Jesus calls us 
to respond to his word. And if you're convicted this morning because you haven't been responding with obedience, you have an opportunity to confess that sin and say, Lord, I failed you. I'm a hypocrite. Lord, I claim to be associated with you, but I am not associated with you. But I repent of that sin and I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. Help me obey. You see, it's funny because Christianity fundamentally is not a works-based religion. It's absolutely unique in this, in this effect. How is someone saved? Solely by trusting in someone else. It's because of what Jesus has done. That's what Matthew is all about. Jesus goes to the cross for our sins, rises from the dead. We're saved by faith in him, not by something we've done. But Christianity is a works-producing religion where when we trust in Christ, because of the grace of God, we are changed. We're different. We hear the words of Jesus and we obey. We believe and we obey. That's what the true Christian looks like. And so there's an open question this morning. Am I actually a kingdom citizen? Do I believe? Do I obey? Because Jesus has that divine authority. Or have I built my house on the sand? Jesus emphasizes there that the collapse of that house was great. It was, it was something to see. It was a big crash. Because it was so unexpected. And that's the tragedy. Hopefully what we will do is we will heed the word of Jesus this morning and we will respond, not just by believing, but by obeying. So would you please pray with me and we'll ask God to help us respond in that way. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word this morning. We thank you for this warning passage, which calls us to evaluate whether we are wise or foolish. And Lord, I pray as we are convicted of hypocrisy, I pray that you would help us to be honest this morning. And Lord, if there are those who are here who are fools, I pray that you would convict them of their hypocrisy. I pray that you would bring them to saving faith in you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they repent of their sins and they turn to you and they actually change. Lord, we ask for that, for your glory, that you would save sinners. Lord, we also recognize that even as uh, we seek to be wise and to build on this strong foundation, that it's a daily battle to believe and obey. And so we ask that you would lead us by your spirit, that you would help us to trust you every day by making decisions that put you at the center, by glorifying you in how we live. Lord, we know that that's not perfect. And so even when we fail, we see that there's grace because of your death on our behalf and resurrection. And we thank you for that grace. And Lord, we thank you for progress, that, that we grow in faith because of your mercy. But Lord, help us to be people who obey you, who recognize that you are the one, the only one who has that true universal authority. And Lord, help us to submit to you as our authority. Lord, we pray that as we do so, that we would shine brightly in a dark world. We pray that you would help us to say no to temptation that we would be a light to others. And we pray that in all of this, at the end of the day, the story wouldn't be, oh, we've done a great thing, but the story would be that you have done a great thing. We pray that it's for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.